All right, we're back. NBA talk. It was a great time of year to be an NBA fan. Trade deadline just passed, and man, did a lot happen. So, uh, got Jared back on here. Good to have you, brother. Thanks for having me. Let's do it. So, off, man, off top. You know, we were just talking about the last podcast we had and how you really wanted to see James Harden go to the Sixers and play with the bead. And it finally happened. So, like, initial thoughts. Let's hear it. Yeah, um, we spoke in November, and the possibility of Harden getting moved was um, it wasn't really on the table. The Nets were coming off a pretty good playoff performance despite uh, sort of crashing out because of injuries. And, uh, yeah, three months later, he's forced himself onto a new team, and and my team is lucky enough to have his services. But, yeah, yesterday was truly a remarkable day. It's probably the happiest I've been in, in months, uh, not just basketball-wise, just on a personal level. It was just a... It was just an amazing day, and uh, yeah, couldn't be happier about how much they had to give up, and uh, yeah, what the future holds. It, it kind of, uh, I think, the future is limitless. So I'll probably be brought back down to earth in a few days. But yeah, right now I'm, I'm, I'm living, living the high life. So, so the full trade details: James Harden goes to the Sixers. Meanwhile, the Sixers have to give up. Not just Ben Simmons, but Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, two very underrated pieces of the Sixers' success so far. And then two first-round picks, 2022 this year's, and then in five years in 2027. Is that too much for Harden? That seems like a lot. Kyle, it sounds like, sounds like you think it's a lot, um, and I, I can't wait to discuss it with you. Um, in my humble opinion, um, it may be an overpay. It might be a slight overpay. Um, doesn't matter. I don't think it matters at all. Um, and we'll talk about why. But I will say, um, Daryl Morey's ethos for his entire time in the NBA has been to get superstars, deal with the rest later. And that's exactly what he did. And I would say that he did more than that. He kept he kept a bunch of pieces. Um, Matisse Thibel was a piece that was sort of on the fringe of being involved, being involved or not. Um, he ended up keeping them, and so and so. I think, uh, yeah, we can obviously talk about who sort of held the cards in terms of leverage here. But um, I think it was an awesome trade. Um, you could definitely argue they gave up a little bit. But what are we what are we talking about here? It's James it's James Harden. And obviously we're talking about how much they gave up, obviously. And there's there's important details, but you get the deal done, you get the deal done. And uh yeah, you, you think it's too much, I'm guessing. Why do you think so? I think it's too much because the Sixers were already incredibly thin. They their bunch unit can consisted of, you know, on a, any given night, Isaiah Joe and George's Niang and Drummond. And now their backup center is nowhere to be found. It's probably going to be Bassey or something. Um, they really don't have any guard depth at all. Um, they lose a big-time shooter. And they, they lose a little bit of flexibility moving forward. Moving away from the picks or all the pieces they 
had to give away. Let's take, let's talk about James Harden. So this man has had quite the last 24 months or so. Yes, sir. He, sometimes he looks 14 like, months. It's just 14 months, Kyle. I think it's really okay. just been 14 months. Not that's actually, that's, that's an argument against him. I'm, I'm actually saying it, it's happened so quickly. That's fair. I mean, he looks like he spends all his time at the club eating lemon, lemon pepper wings in the off season and, and throwing ones left and right. Um, he has stretched out this hamstring injury longer than any injury of anyone in the NBA ever. Um, and he's going to have to be signed to a crazy contract once this season's over. If you're, if you're Daryl Morey and you have the choke artist himself, James Harden, in the playoffs, you have choke coach of all time in Doc Rivers. No, no arguments with the coach there, that's for sure. So let's say they lose in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Bucks or something. Are you going to give James Harden, as a, as a Sixers fan, you know, put yourself in, in Morris' shoes, are you going to give him five years, 240 for the next, you know, until he's 38 or something? Yeah, I think it's definitely a concern. I think it's a concern you see a ton. Um, you get a guy like Damian Lillard, let's say, coming off an amazing year last year, and immediately he turns into a guy that you don't want to give a five-year max to because – He's at that age. And so I think we're at that time with a lot of these players. Um, you know, Chris Paul and LeBron James are two examples where it hasn't really happened in terms of the fall off. But I think with a lot of these guys, you know, we get to a point where they're 31, 32. And that next big deal is just going to look bad. And I don't think any team really has the leverage to tell those guys that are 10 time all stars. We're not giving you that deal. You know, he's either going to go. He's going to go somewhere else and get the deal. And I think. You know, at times it doesn't work. And in the case of John Wall and Russell Westbrook, those are two guys that, that you know, they fell off even younger than, you know, let's say a Damian Lord and a, and a James Harden. But you do get the case of a Chris Paul or a LeBron James, and those are two unique players, but where the, the contract doesn't look bad. And so, you know, there's a way that the James Harden contract doesn't look bad. Um, he's a guy, while he's been injured all the time, and he has a ton of personality concerns, I totally hear all that. Um, there's a chance his game can age okay. Uh, his shooting's been really down, but hypothetically, he's an, he's a great shooter. Um, he uses, you know, strength. That shouldn't go away. Um, so some of these things could last. Um, and, yeah, and just in terms of the personality stuff, it's definitely something to be fearful of. You know, if Joel gets hurt next year, does he just want to leave again? You know, obviously, those yeah. are things you have to deal with. But here are my two things. From a Brooklyn perspective, there's a lot of people talking today about, um, you know how they they got better somehow with this deal, which we can talk about. I'm not not sure how that's possible, but all these Brooklyn players saying James was a head case, and you talked about how he's a playoff choker, and I'm here for that, and I love James, and he has choked in the playoffs. If James Harden is a playoff choker, what does Brooklyn think of the guy they got back? If James Harden is a personality head case, what the hell do you think you just got back? And so just from a Brooklyn versus Philly perspective, it's crazy that we're even discussing this as a two-pronged win-win thing here. Um, it's just, it's crazy to me that, that uh, and, I, and I get it, you know, we're, we're trying to poke holes in, in both teams. But just, just when we compare those two teams, I think it's crazy that we're somehow comparing those two players. 
Um, in terms of the five-year deal, like you said, it's scary, but it's all about championship windows. You know, there's going to be a time, and you're a Celtics fan, in 10 years, if you're lucky enough to keep your two superstars, those contracts are going to get bad too. And I just think that's the reality. And what's the alternative, Kyle? I don't, I don't know. I like what, I, I like, I don't, sure. I mean, maybe we could have some sustainable, good level starters instead of this guy, but I mean, I'm, I'm ready to, to win the big thing. And uh, yeah, if we have to take the pain on the back end, I'm for it. And I want to hear what you have to say about, I guess the Brooklyn side of things. Yeah, you brought up a lot of good points. Um, first one is, I think anyone, if they're in their Amoy shoes, you don't really have a choice. You you moved out all this capital for this player, and what you're going to let him walk after the season? No, you're going to give him the money. There's only there's only really one choice to do here. But do you and not want to give him the money? I I would argue. You look at the cases of giving older superstars that money, who ages well and who doesn't. I think the person who puts crazy amount of time and energy into their body and into their game will age well, LeBron, Chris Paul. If you have a super skillful talent like Steph Curry and his shooting, I think that will age incredibly well. I don't know, James Hard I think James Harden is more in the mold of Westbrook and Wall in terms of he's kinda he's not gonna work any harder than he already does. Granted, I'll give I'll give this to you. When he came into Brooklyn, he was getting praised for his leadership. He he got his trade out of out of Houston and everyone was like, Wow, James, you know, is he talking to him like awesome. crazy? He was awesome for two months there. Yeah, he was amazing. Right. And and then whatever happens, he gets, you know, he gets comfortable in the relationship and his true colors start to come out. And, man, I just think he does have the skill in terms of his pace of play and his sometimes shooting, but mostly playmaking. And I just – I think that's a lot of money. I think Ben Simmons is on the upswing of his career. Granted, it was never going to happen. Um, but I think this is the best thing the Sixers could have done with Ben Simmons. I think this is the best package they could have got. Um, so if I have to give it a ranking, um, I'm giving both teams a thumbs up, double thumbs up for me here with these two teams. What would you, what would you grade it? Yeah, I mean – and I don't want to go on too long, but I mean, there's so many, so many people telling Daryl Morey to just trade him. Just trade him for this, trade him for that. And they didn't just trade him for a top 30 player, the top 30 player. They traded him for a player that's objectively better than him. He's going to be better. If you want to say in five years, Ben Simmons will be the better player, maybe. But James Harden in the next three years, I think those three years will be better than any Ben Simmons years individually in Ben's entire career. And Ben's been amazing. He's been a third team all NBA. But the ceiling for this Brooklyn team is just not the same. And I love Ben Simmons. He's one of my favorite players, but they're not on the same caliber player. So the fact that Daryl waited and got someone of this caliber for a distressed asset that I had so many Celtics fans telling me 
we wouldn't trade Marcus Smart for him. And you got James Harden, and I know, and I know James Harden in five years, it's different. But we're not looking at five years; we're looking at the next three years. And so, mm-hmm. I couldn't be happier with the trade. Um, the depth, fine. I mean, we got two top fifteen players. I'm excited about it. And uh, yeah, from a Brooklyn perspective, I think if you were to tell you know Sean Marks in the Brooklyn front office, you know, gun to your head, you have to trade James Harden. I think what they got is solid. You know, they got, they got some stuff back. But if you told them three months ago when they were wiping the floor with the Celtics in the first round and they had a big three that looked ready to contend for five years, that this is what their roster was going to look like? I mean, that's – I don't – obviously, they don't – we don't know what happened, what the inner dynamics were of the team, and a lot of that st- it goes on Harden. I think it was a lot of – it was probably a lot of his fault. But from, from that point to now – there's been a complete failure from, from their organization. And I still think they could probably win a championship. They got a good team. But, I mean, you just traded James Harden for Ben Simmons. And I love Ben Simmons. But, like, come on, they're not the same player. And I know you're a Celtics fan. And, mm-hmm. and there's just, I don't know, like, these people who are complaining about Harden and his personality and all this, like, you're getting it even worse with Ben coming back. And, uh, and so from, from a trade standpoint, yeah, I, w- I would give the Nets – probably a, a thumbs up but in terms of the way everything was handled um i mean i think they failed and uh and they can still win a chip and maybe they will but i think i think it was a thumbs down in terms of how how we got here so that's what i would say okay. i think it makes philly if you're a philly fan you're excited you're you think for the first time since probably jimmy butler you know you yep. really have a shot you have that lead ball handler to go with Embiid. And Embiid looks like an MVP. He looks absolutely spectacular. So to get a, a backcourt guard to run pick and roll to feed on the ball, you know, you gotta be really, really excited. So um all right, let's let's move along to um an older trade going going back in the past. We got um we got Norma Powell and Rocco go to the Clippers and the Blazers get a bunch of salary filler and junk pretty much. Bloodsoe, Winslow, Keon Johnson in the 2025 second. Um, is there much to say here? Is there not? Uh, you know, what do you think about this for, for each thing? Yeah, uh, there's some teams in the NBA that I wouldn't call them sleeping giants, but they get looked over one reason or another. The Clippers are that team. I mean, they are. Total, wa- total wash of a year, obviously. Their best two players, you know, two guys they gave up their entire uh, draft future for. PG and Kawhi haven't played hardly at all this year. Um, and yet they're competitive as all hell. Um, well coached, much better. Um, much better coached than the Sixers are, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, they're just kind of getting revamped and ready to go for next year. And that's not a, it's not really a juicy title because it's just next year and they probably won't have anything to say for this year, but um, yeah, they're getting, they're getting good around the edges here. And uh, I think Kawhi and PG might be ready for another run at it next year. That's how, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. They're, I, I think it was a sleeping giant. That's, that's a great way to put it. Um, yeah. I think Norman Powell is a, really good two-way wing to put with Kawhi and PG. And 
he kind of fills that gap they had between the bear, the big wings and then some guards they have in Jackson and Kennard who are really defensive players. So I like that. Um, Broco, you know, we'll see what happens with him. He's kind of a declining um, value player. And they got off of some, some contracts. The Blazers, I don't know what they're doing. They got a second. If you look at what they gave, they gave up two first-round picks for Covington. They get rid of them for nothing. And they have to give away Powell, who they gave away Trent Jr. for, who's been scoring 30 a game this month for, for Toronto and looking like a stud of a shooter. Um, you know, I'll give, I'll give the Clippers a, a thumbs up and the Blazers a thumbs down on, on this trade. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I actually have my, this was before the Harden trade. My dad texted me, what the hell are the Blazers doing? You know, does this, yeah. does this mean something for Dame? And I texted him back that all the reports said they're not rebuilding. They're actually building around Dame. And I think we'll talk about the next deal they made to sort of open things up. And I, I think it probably makes sense for them to hit the reset button, but certainly after this trade, it was like, you know, what, what are we doing here? So I'd agree with your uh, thumbs up for the clips and uh, thumbs down for the Blazers. So we'll, yeah, we'll flow right into that. Um, moving up one or two, we got the Blazers making another move. Again, looks like they're tanking. And it's funny, their GM's an interim, interim GM right now. So he's acting like he's got the ship for the next five years when he uh, probably won't. So the, the Pelicans and the Blazers were involved in a deal that the Blazers sent McCollum, Nance Jr., and Tony Snell to the Pelicans, while the Blazers got Josh Hart, Alexander Walker, Sanoransky, uh, Didi, the dude who got drug suspended, whoever that dude was, um, and then a first rounder this year and two second rounders in the future. Um, if you're a Pelicans fan, do you like this? Is it hope? You know, yeah. How you feeling? It's interesting. There's been a lot of conversation about David Griffin of the Pelicans sort of pushing in chips a little bit too early. Um, he thought they were ready to contend last year. He had blood so and Steven Adams on the roster. Um, he just had a lot of veterans and probably would have been the right move if Zion stayed healthy. They probably, I mean, they'd definitely be much better. Um, they're another sleeping giant where they got this potential all NBA guy that just is nowhere to be found. And no one even cares to really talk about him because it's not like a, yeah, they're just so out of the playoff picture maybe that it's just, it's not that interesting to talk about, but they're a sleeping giant. You get a veteran guard who's, you know, all-star potential. Um, and I think they're good. They got a, they got a solid big three next year. There's not a ton of upside with, with CJ as your, as your lead creator, but I'm optimistic about Brandon Ingram. Um, you know, maybe they could do some stuff next year. And, uh, in terms of what they gave up, uh, I like Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I'm not sure, you know, what his contract situation's like. Maybe that they sort of gave him up because he's coming up on a deal, but not too much pain um, with with what they gave up. So I guess they're trying to stay competitive because, you know, everyone's waiting for Zion's rookie deal to be up and, yeah. and waiting to see if he wants to stay or not. So I guess that's what I guess that's what NBA's life is like. When you get a good player, you just got to want to stay competitive so he doesn't leave you. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a small market, you know, you're, you're pretty much uh, at the whim of whatever they want to do. And 
Yeah, like you mentioned, I think David Griffin has done an awesome job building this roster. You you look at the players who left, you look at the players he's retained, and man, they lost some good players. Having Lonzo Ball would be amazing on this roster right now. You'd take him over Devontae Graham every day of the week. And you have him, you lost Drew Holiday. Man, they they lost they lost some good talent. And I like CJ though, and I especially like Larry Nance Jr. I think he's gonna be a good small ball five alongside Zion that can switch on a perimeter, can guard one through five. And I think he's hurt right now. I think he's gonna be out for the year, but no, he'll be good when Zion comes back. And for the Blazers, they got a first round pick. So that's good. There's not much there's not much else to say about it. Josh Hart's cool. He's a good like seventh, eighth role player type of dude. And they already got rid of Nikhil Alexander Walker, so there's not much to say there. He's uh he's on the jazz now. So Blazers blowing it up for sure. I'll give the Pelicans uh, a thumbs up because they did something and got a decent player, and then I'll go thumbs thumbs down for the Blazers. Uh, I actually like the Blazers breaking up CJ and Dame for once. Uh, clearly, that, that duo wasn't going to do much. Um, so I actually think the Blazers did fine here. I'll give them both a, uh, an okay grade. What are we calling it? Sideways? Just okay. Yeah, I think both. Sure. I think both did. I think both did fine. Yeah. Okay. So the Cavs made a move. They are a fun team to watch. I'll tell you that. They are very, very fun to watch. There's a lot of talent. A lot of different players. They're going untraditional, playing a bunch of personal bigs out there. Um, you know, playing some like stretch four, stretch fives at the three, and they needed some wing scoring with Colin Sexton now and losing Rubio. Um, it can't just be Darius Garland, the only one creating on the perimeter. So they basically give up Rubio, who's out for the year, and a first-rounder, which will be in the 20s or something, to the Pacers for LeBert in a second-round pick. I think it's exciting as a Cavs fan. Um, are, you a, are you a Karis LeBert fan? You higher or lower than him than most? Your opinion on, on the uh, Michigan alone? Yeah, I think they should be reaching a little bit higher um, in the next several years. Obviously, they have a big three uh, of Mobley, Allen, and, and Garland that are pretty young. Uh, Levert's mm-hmm. probably a little bit older than them. So I don't want to see them mortgage their potential future to you know get a real second perimeter star next to Garland. Um, Obviously, those two bigs are awesome, but in terms of shot creation, you're going to need someone like legit next to Garland if you're going to really make a run for it the next few years. So uh, I hope they don't mortgage that. I think Karras is on a fine contract in terms of moving him eventually. Um, but sure, I, I mean, I sure do love Darius Garland. Um, it's rare that you get a player that comes in and makes you really want to watch all their games. And for me, that's him in terms of uh, just awesome in pick and roll, um, just great at setting up his teammates. Mm-hmm. shoots beautifully from outside i mean i just love watching them play so i don't want them to mortgage um sort of the salary space to get that second perimeter creator i don't think Karras is that long term but i mean they've been so good without them that they might just prove me wrong and 
and make a few, you know, deep playoff runs with him. Um, and he could improve obviously, but, uh, yeah, I guess I'm looking to pair Garland up with someone even, even better in the next few years. If, if I'm a, a Cavs fan. I, I really enjoyed this trade by the Cavs. I think Karis LeVert in the perfect situation where he's got a lot of backside help defensively where, where he can rely on. He doesn't have to be a defensive stopper. And he's also in a role where he can get thrown to the sixth man and stagger minutes with Garland, be the lead ball handler with the second unit, and, and really put up some, some points, I think, for them that they, they need from the perimeter. Um, you know, I don't think there's much else to say about it that Karis LeVert is, I think he's in a good role in Cleveland. Um, and then the Pacers, I really like Rubio for his ACL, so who knows what to think. Um, they get a first rounder out of it. And it's, it's, I think it's weird that the, the Pacers are rebuilding in their first year with Carlisle. I didn't think Carlisle would go to a situation where they're rebuilding immediately. But, you know, I guess that's, that's what can happen when you get a couple injuries. Um, so, Cavs, thumbs up. Pacers, thumbs to the side. Um, I wish they got more than Rubio, but, yeah. Yeah, I think the Pacers had a log jam at guard, and they even they still have it, obviously, with Halliburton, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'd go the same. Pacers on the side, they're doing just fine. Um, and Cavs, yeah, I guess you just got to give them a thumbs up because – uh, yeah, they got off the they, they got something from the Rubio contract, right? Now, this next one is very interesting because I watched the Kings play the first night and they looked they looked really good. I, I was shocked because everyone was you know, everyone hates on the Kings, they can't make the playoffs. Wadi Divash is you know, biased and can't see you know into the future of talent, he just wants to get some old school European big man. Um, so very, very interesting trade. Pacers and Kings. The Kings get Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, second round pick. And then the Pacers, they end up getting Halliburton, very surprising, very high on Halliburton. And then Heald and Thompson. Man, who won this trade? Someone's gotta always win, you know? I think they both got what they want. The Pacers obviously got a, a potential star, and the Kings got um, the Kings have a, at least um, a play in berth over the next two or three years. They're at least going to get one now. I'd say. I mean, maybe not this year, but I'm got to imagine they'd get one either next year or the following year, and they're going to say that's a playoff berth, and and that's great for them. In terms of Halliburton, uh, yeah, I'm not as high as as the consensus is, I would say on him, I think he's obviously a nice player. Um, the shot is consistent, but I just hate the form. And there's something about watching him that makes me question him. Uh, I can't deny his production. He's obviously a young guy and he's done so well so far. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say he's not going to be good, but he's just not my, my favorite player to watch. I guess you could say, um, so did, I like, so I like, see, did you see him play against the Sixers? the other week yeah you watched that game For i don't sure. know if you saw the highlights but no i was cooking the sixers listen i watch every second of the sixers i was going to bring that game up but i didn't know if you saw it i hadn't watched yeah. them play obviously i'm not going to watch the kings play but 
that game, that game definitely opened my eyes to, okay, this guy, this guy's a real player. Um, And he was cooking the likes of George Niang and, and uh, Danny Green. And and he was getting, and listen, listen, not everyone can do that on switches. Like that that is still a skill. Um, I question the ceiling, but in terms of being a top 30, 40 guy, he's clearly already there. Um, I wouldn't have given up on him if I'm the Kings. Um, he's just not my cup of tea, but I'm not going to deny that he's, he's, he's very good and he's going to become great. Most likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he is, you know, you look at, you watch him for like five seconds and you, you don't think you think he's some weird role player, you know, how's that shot going in? It's all over, it's all the way on his shoulder where he's launching it from. I think he's in that Lonzo ball kind of versatile guard role where he could be he could lead he could be the point guard and have average justice or he could be the shooting guard and average 25 five and five uh it, he's very versatile i think the, the suns should be kicking themselves they shouldn't be able to sleep for years for not taking this dude at 10 and, and taking Jalen smith instead who we'll mention uh, later on but He'd be amazing third guard Parker and and, uh, and Chris Paul. But watching that Kings team, the new Kings team, I was like, huh. You know, Darren Fox gets his kind of backcourt to himself. He gets all the creation. He's not he's not an off ball guy. He's he's not. They get Sabonis, who man, you know, he's kind of looking like Lottie Divac out there in terms of he can play make. He's going to be a big bruising finisher in the room. Um, he doesn't have to play next to Miles Turner anymore, which will help. I'm not sure what they're going to do with Sean Holmes. Um, he just kind of gets, got put on the bench when I think he's above average uh, big man in this league. Um, but in terms of other guys, Justin Holiday, big fan of him, versatile shooter, very good shooter. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, Kind of similar score defender. Um, the Pacers, it's hard to judge what they're going to do because they might get rid of Buddy Hill. They might find out, or, you know, who knows what happens with them because it seems like they're in lose now mode. But in terms of grading this, it's a little difficult. Again, I'm not sure who really won. The double loss situation? Double no, I think. Win. Yeah, I think the Pacers definitely. Uh, I mean, they're going nowhere. They're going nowhere. They have they had four or five really high level starters, but no, I would say superstars. And you know what that gets you? That gets you seven, eight, and nine scenes every single year. And so I think taking a swing on a younger guy that you know you're obviously optimistic can be like maybe a, a one, two time All Star at least. Um, I think it's it's a nice play for them to try to get out of uh, just mediocrity. So I would give it a plus for the Pacers and. The Kings, I would give it a plus two because they just want a damn playoff game. So let's do it. Right. Yeah, I think some teams, they just got to move. They just got to make change for the sake of change. You know, if they're not doing well, just to change it up, to increase the hope that a fan base might have. And that's enough to sell a couple more tickets and, and get a couple more viewers. So, you know, I can agree to that. I'll give it a plus for both teams as well. Um, the next one we're going to skip. It's, the only thing that matters is uh, Alexander Walker going to the Jazz, which uh, 
I don't know. He seems a little redundant with Clarkson coming off the bench, but um, I don't know. He'll be interesting to watch there. Um, the next one we'll mention is Dragic, who's been chilling, not playing, um, goes to the Spurs and is going to get bought out. Who would you like to see Dragic go to after he gets bought out? Where do you think he might be most impactful? Yeah, always been interested in him, obviously. He was always the sixth man for the Heat, but he was, I think he consistently outplayed uh, their starting point guards almost always. And it was just a thing where uh, Spolstra loved to have, you know, really high-level guys off the bench. Um, mm-hmm. Someone just mentioned him as a p- potential Sixers candidate, and I was thinking if he joined the if he joined the Sixers, I mean, he would be their fourth best player. I don't know what we're talking about here. This is not this is not like a traditional buyout guy. This is a really really high level player, and I haven't obviously we haven't seen him play in in a year or so. But I mean, this guy was tearing it up just two years ago in the bubble. He was incredible for the Heat. Um, you know, he played off the bench, but he was consistently like starter level guy. Could drop twenty five any given night. So uh, he's a high le- high level starter. I think not a high level. He's probably low level starter, but Obviously, the rumor has been to, for him to go to the Mavericks. Um, I haven't thought about, you know, who he would benefit the most. Who do you think? Uh, who do you think would work for him? Yeah, I think the, the Mavericks is the obvious answer because of the Slovenian connection and um, Luca wanting a, you know, another new ball handler. But I think they got that, and that's going to trade. We'll mention very soon. Um, I don't know if it's the right fit what they got. But um, I don't think there's room with Brunson and with Dinwiddie in the backcourt um, and Luca, obviously, for Dragic to fit in there. So, you know, who would, who would I like to see him on? Uh, first thing is the Celtics, because he killed the Celtics in the bubble. Like, he was so tough to watch. Just cook the Celtics in the bubble. Right. So you remember, um, you remember that series I was talking about? Yeah, he was, he was amazing. Absolutely, of course. Him and yeah, you know, there are two yeah, bench guards. Their two bench guards. Their two bench guards were incredible. Playing, definitely outperforming their two starting guards. I mean, that's yeah, just how they and, do it. That's just how they and do. You it. watch them like throw them on the the bottom wings of a two three, and they'll have like Butler, Iguodala, and then Bam in the middle, and then they'll send the two white dudes. Uh, on the on the side and have him guard in the corner, kind of hide out, you know, if it's Robinson or Harrow or Dragic. And I'm like, man, they just get to, you know, cook our guards in the perimeter and then they chill on defense and we can't even expose them. That was tough to watch. I'll tell you that. Um, so I don't really know who I'd like to see him go to, who, who makes sense, who would be targeting. Um, but he'll be the most, probably the most impactful bio guy. Um, we'll see picked up in the next couple months. So the Suns somehow upgraded a little bit. They added Holiday from the Wizards, I think is an underrated guard. And then they got Tory Craig back for Jalen Smith, who uh, struggled to get time for them. Um, Suns got better. I'd give them a thumbs up. Is there any more else to say about it? I mean, they just – they don't have holes on their team. It's just ridiculous. Um, obviously, they got the two two incredible guards who are – you know, it's been well noted that they're incredible in the clutch. Um, 
And then they got a p- plenty of innings eaters in terms of bench guys that can just come in and, and play when CP feels like he only wants to score 12 points on any given night. You know, they got guys yeah. to help him out. I'm guessing Shamit is still injured and will be for a while if they're getting so much guard depth. Um, I'm not sure about campaign. I haven't seen him play in a while, so probably could have done some research there, but I'm guessing their injuries are what causing them to get a little bit deeper. But I mean, I, I mm. want to ask you about the sort of budding rivalry between them and the Warriors. It seems like in all mm. likelihood, they're going to face off in the conference finals and that'll just be a joy to watch um, Two just really complete teams. You know, you got superstars across the board on both teams. Um, I'm not a Warriors fan. I'm going to root pretty hard for Chris Paul in that in that matchup. But, I mean, it's going to be fun to watch if those two teams match up because they're, they're both so deep. And, uh, yeah, the superstar play is, is pretty good for both sides. Yeah, it'll be that, – that would be a dream matchup to watch in the, in the Western Conference Finals. Who do I think we win? I think it, it's going to come down to health. I think that's kind of obvious. Um, I think the X factor is going to be Draymond Green. You know, if he can play small ball five and not like Aiden struggles in it, it's one of his strengths. But if he can almost try and play Aiden off the floor in terms of just trying to outrun, outrun him, um, I think that's going to be the biggest X factor for the Warriors. So if he's out, the Warriors are done. Um, but I would take, you know, watching in the last two years, I would take the Suns any day. They're, they're clutch statistics. If you give them a five-point lead with five minutes to go, it's really hard to beat them. They're going to execute, execute, execute. And they're going to get a good shot every time down the floor. And as, as amazing as Steph Curry is, you know, you can kind of just throw a big wing on him and have him face guard him. And it really kind of takes everything away from them. So I take the Suns, and I think the Suns got better. Uh, that would be a dream matchup to watch, absolutely. So Suns got better. Um, and then we had a – before we get to my Celtics, the last couple of trades, we had a uh, big four-teamer. Highlights of it, Serge Ibaka to the Bucks. I'm guessing that's because they think Brooke Lopez is going to be out for a while. And then really, Bagley gets out of Sacramento. Good for Bagley. Good for that dude. Um, Clippers get some Ojale, you know, Celtics got good. And the Kings get a bunch of uh, random stuff like Vincenzo, Miles Jackson. Um, is there a winner here? Yeah, I didn't. This trade went down probably an hour before the Harden trade and got a text from a friend about how the Bucks got better, you know, in reaction to the Sixers, you know, biggest competition, you know, the Bucks getting better. And I was just like, I responded like, like, can't, we're really talking about Serge Ibaka when, when James Harden's on the table. But anyway, now, now looking at the details of each one, uh, it's a lot of stuff. Like you said, uh, I think Ibaka helps them, but I, He's hit or miss. I don't know. I guess we'll see how he does in the playoffs. I think Dante is probably the best guy in this trade, right? Other than Serge Ibaka. Yeah. I mean, he was starting on the Bucks teams that were winning 60, 65 games. And of course he was the fifth starter on that team. But I think, I think he's got promise. Um, 
I haven't caught up with the Kings, but I'd imagine he'd start right next to, to Fox. So my guess is they got the best player out of, out of everyone here. Um, besides that, yeah, everything else is just, just random stuff. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think the Kings won this. I think Trey Lyles is very underrated. Um, sneakily, I think around 38 to 40% from three as a four-man. Um, again, I'm, I'm very happy for Bagley that he just gets a second chance um, with, a, with a different roster. This is kind of it for him. I feel like if he is still getting DMPs, you can find him you know, in China next year or something. Um, You're getting DMPs on Detroit. Uh, You're struggling. Just say that. Yeah, yeah. That's when you know it's uh, not going well. He can't even play for them. Serge Ibaka is, man, I was really excited for the Clippers when they got him. And then he, like, broke his back or something. And, and he had to play in the TV for, like, way too long to get back. He seems like he aged four or five years in the last year or so. So, yeah, for the for the Bucks, I'm like, okay, you got Serge Ibaka, but you really know what you're getting. Um, so kind of just a, a meh trade. Everyone gets like a bonus to the side or something. Uh, yeah, so now now we get to get to the – Let's get to the boys in green. Let's do it. That's right. You know. First, first, I got to ask you first. Um, there was a period there where the losses were were coming one after the other on top of each other. I was soaking it all in. I was, I told my friend I was hate watching a Celtics podcast for like days on end. Like literally every day I'd watch you guys because it was just chaos every uh, single day. And you yeah. guys have righted, you guys have righted the ship. Um, the, the entire time you're point differential, which is, you know, typically the best indicator of how, how good a team's quality is. You guys were always at a higher point differential than the Sixers and you were like 10 games behind the Sixers. So I was like, all right, Mm -hmm. this is, I mean, we know why it's because the clutch performance was so terrible, but now you're, I think sixth or seventh in point differential in the whole NBA, which, you know, signals that you're maybe a contender. I think you're a little bit far away from that status, but clearly your point differential says otherwise. And now you're five or six games over 500. So uh, what, what's the feeling around the fan base right now? I think I've felt as good now as I have since, probably since they beat the Raptors in game seven in the bubble. Um, you know, it's been a long kind of what the hell is going on with this team. But you look at it, they have the best record of any, any, uh, any NBA team in 2020, this calendar year. They have the number one ranked, uh, I think, net defense in the league since then. 2022, you mean, this year? Yeah, in 2022. And they, you know, the East is so tight. They're five games out of first. You know, they they win a couple here or there. They can find themselves three, four, five. They just got to keep it up. So they they did make some moves, which... You know, is what it is. I thought their their chemistry was getting really good as they've been having the success recently. Uh, Josh Richardson was kind of one of the boys with Tatum and Brown. You see videos of them like working out after like every game. They'd be getting lifts after every game. I'm like, okay, that's that's not stuff like teammates in the NBA do all the time. Um, so it was honestly a little tough to see them kind of shake it up. 
I know that can kind of mess with some flow and some chemistry in the middle of the season. Um, but honestly, I'm feeling pretty good as a Celtics fan, um, all, everything considered. So they were able to make two moves. The first and most important one was Derek White from San Antonio, which I honestly, he is kind of out of my radar. He seems like someone who was solid and had some good playoff performances. San Antonio liked him. It's going to be a good fit, I guess, but they did have to give up a lot. So they, they gave up Richardson, Langford, and a first-round pick next year. What? Okay. And then a pick swap in the first round. And- Seems like you're reading this for the first time and are getting more concerned as you read it. Yeah, they're, they're giving up this year's first-round pick. It's protected, yep. it, but I, I think it all – it should convey this year, I think. So. I, yeah, I agree. Um, they have no confidence that their 14th pick will get them anything other than Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford again, I guess. They don't want to draft anymore, which is, I guess, a fair assessment. Yep. Um, you know, Derek White, this is, this is what I got from my like, social media research on it. He's, he's a defensive-minded point guard. Checks the first box. He is a smart player who can run the point. Checks another box. He's going to make the right play on offense. Checks another box. I just, I just think he, he does another. He does, he does a lot of good things that could help the Celtics. Um, so, what do you, what do you think about this trade? Thing is, Derek White was on the USAB team that uh, Coach Eme coached with with Marcus and Jason and Jalen. So now they have oh. a third. They have a third. I saw a stat there that they have a third of that team again. They they had a third of it when Kemba was on the team, and now they've replaced that mm-hmm. member of the USAB team. Uh, yeah, I've f- from the coverage I've heard, he seems sort of redundant with Marcus Smart, which is not a bad thing to have. I would love to have fifteen Marcus Smarts, but seems like he's sort of in that mold of. Uh, Definitely is not, you know, creating for himself too efficiently, but is a really good ball mover, uh, really good defender. Um, I saw a tweet about how Harden's going to have to deal with 48 minutes of Derek White and Marcus Smart now or something like that. That's just a optimistic mm-hmm. take about, you know, how good the Celtics D was going to be. It's already really good, obviously. Um, yeah. yeah, I asked a few Celtics fans about, you know, how they felt Richardson did. Uh, he obviously shot the hell out of the ball this year from three. Uh, way better than he did last year in Dallas. This is his fourth team in, I think, 16 months. So he's been on a bunch of teams now, poor guy. And, uh, yeah, I actually got a text back saying, I don't love Richardson, but I love that. I love him because Tatum loves him, was the text I got back. So And he mentioned the whole working out thing. So I've seen Grant Williams, and I've seen other guys in that list. So maybe it's not Richardson, not just Richardson. But uh, right. I think they unquestionably got better. I mean, Derek White's a guy, he's only on a second contract. It's rare that you get an opportunity to get a player who's, you know, could be improving still, still sort of young and is on either his first or second contract. Um, And so I think they just said, Hey, we could either draft a guy this year, or we could just take a guy that is also improving, but has already solidified himself. So um, that said, it's a lot to give up. I think Romeo probably his, his reputation had soured um, across the fan base, I think. So it's yeah. a lot to give up, but I think, you know, White has the potential to, to stay around for a little bit. And 
and help make the two superstars lives easier. So I think that's the goal. Celtics also made another move in terms of uh, getting. He's back. He's back. He's back. He's back. Come on. He's already, he already <laughs> fouled out of the first game. He's got to, he's got to sit. <laughs> Man, it kind of gave up a lot. Schroeder. I mean, it was really just Schroeder and some junk um, for Tice. You know, I'm so happy that Ennis Canner, Freedom, whatever his name is, is out of there. Man, he's, he's a distraction. He's a clown. He, uh, is the worst pick and roll defender I've ever watched in my life. Um, Schroeder, you know, all right, he, he's not always going to get dealt. And then Tice, I, I like Tice, actually. I think he's versatile. He can shoot. He's smart. I think he knows how to play with the dudes on this roster already, so that'll help. And he's on a solid deal, kind of signed up. Same with White. He's on a another, like, friendly mid, mid-level deal um, that has a couple years on it. Um, any thoughts on this return? I know you're. I know you're going to lose Schroeder at the end of the year, and I guess Tice has uh, some more years on the contract. But I don't. know. You're really going to tell me? And I obviously this year. I mean, it's not a fully wash. It's not a full wash. You're probably not going to compete this year. But yeah, do you really think a year, the next three months of Dennis Schroeder is not worth the next three years of Daniel Tice? I don't know. Like to me, Daniel Tice is makes no positive or negative impact. He's just out there. And to me, Schroeder. And obviously, I haven't tuned into a bunch of the the winning streak recently. I don't know how he's been doing, but I mean, he's valuable, man. So, um, so you th- yeah, I, I just I don't even know what they got for Schroeder. Why not just keep him and see how things play out? It's all about fit. He he's just not a pass first point guard, organize the floor. He's like a third guard, sixth man scorer type who's gonna dominate the ball, but not really pass it. And when you, you you have that guy bringing it up and then he passes it to Tatum and Tatum, bing, 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 step back, everyone's watching. They needed more of a, a ball mover and someone who's going to like get people the ball in the right spots. I think that's more Derek White um, and less Schroeder. So I think it's okay. Um, Schroeder was kind of always out of there. He was just kind of, you know, put up points and raise your value so we can trade you the whole season. Um, but, you know, I went to a couple Celtics games and he had some 27, 30 point games. And um, he was fun to watch, but he was, he was just, you know, getting a cup of coffee in Boston. That was all it was going to be. Yeah. Seeing, uh, seeing reports that the Lakers would obviously be interested in. Obviously, they would be interested because they traded for a worse point guard, and now they just want the guy they had last year back. I mean, Schroeder. Just imagine if they had Schroeder just instead of Westbrook. They take away Kuzma, all of them, but just Schroeder in for Westbrook. I mean, they would they'd be good. So it's a damn shame. I wonder if he comes back to the Lakers. One other thing I have to say is uh, Brad Stevens has now reacquired uh, the two guys who have consistently played well against Joel Embiid, obviously Al Horford, and now Daniel Tice, so they're going to have I'm saying this a little bit of tongue-in-cheek but they're going to have two guys to potentially go up against Embiid. Um, I don't know if you saw Woj's tweet a little bit a while ago the Celtics are signing uh, Luke Cornett again, so that's going to be their third center. Um, so yeah, they're rounding out the big man rotation oh, man. and uh, 
you obviously still got Rob Williams there and he seems like a foundational piece going forward. He, he absolutely is. Um, I did not see that at Cornette. Wow. How, how irrelevant. He, yeah. I think it's, I'm, I'm happy as a Celtics fan. I'm really looking forward to watch White, watching White. Um, I think Tice is just six fouls against Embiid. I don't know if he's going to do anything. Horford, though, I think Horford is actually, you know, kind of kryptonite to Embiid a little bit. Um, and... He was. He was. You'd have to imagine, given yeah. Horford's steep drop-off, and he's, he, um, I'm sure he's been fine this year, and just how much better Embiid has gotten since yeah. Horford was on the Celtics the first time around that. Hopefully that doesn't affect him, but um, yeah, who knows? I mean, knowing, knowing these two teams' history, we'll probably be matched up in the first round playoffs. So that'll be fun to watch for sure. Um, the last trade we'll discuss today is a, a shock, honestly. Um, Porzingis is ex- exiled from, from Dallas. And uh, the whole European connection is destroyed with Luca, and he gets sent to the Wizards with a second-round pick for Dinwiddie Bertans, two very unwanted players in Washington. Who who won this trade? And who's like your favorite piece in this deal? Yeah, Chris Stops obviously had an awesome. Uh... He had an awesome time in the bubble. He played really well during those playoffs. And that was sort of the, you know, we saw the potential of Kristaps and Luca together. Uh, it's clear that, you know, his his presence has soured, uh, or sorry, his his presence, you know, hasn't really been wanted around Dallas. I mean, I'm curious what Luca's thought process was when he clearly, you know, um, signed off on this deal, considering it's, you know, that it's that second superstar. And uh Superstars don't come around often. I don't know if Kristaps is that guy, but they certainly, you know, traded for him like he was and they paid him like he was. Um, I'm optimistic on Spencer Dinwiddie. He's been, he's been terrible this year, but when the Wizards actually signed him and then they traded Russ and got all those pieces, uh, I really like their roster. Having Dinwiddie next to Beal, I thought would be awesome. It hasn't really worked out. He's, he's been terrible, but I mean, before this year, he was a, he was a very interesting player. Uh, I think it it will it'll be nice next to Luca to have him there, um, but it doesn't really move the needle for the Mavericks. I wouldn't say, and uh, yeah, Kristaps's career is very interesting. Um, not sure where it leads next. He's always got that potential to come out and have an All Star season, but as of now, he's just left with that one All Star game he ever made and uh, just a ton of injuries. Yeah, it was interesting watching Spencer Dinwiddie's, you know, the, the, the commentary surrounding him in his short term in, in Washington. Um, seemed like he came in wanting to be almost like the alpha on the team and really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in terms of uh, just kind of being an incompetent leader almost. Um, and I don't know if he's the same player after his injury which sucks because one of, one of my favorite trainers to watch on Instagram is, is his trainer. And he's also like Anthony Davis's trainer. And I watched his whole like 
ACL recovery process on Instagram, essentially. And he looked great. He looked like he was coming back early and he was, you know, doing a rear elevated split squat jump within like three months of his ACL surgery. I'm like, wow, this dude's, uh, dude's going to come back better or something. And that has not been the case. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see his fit with not only Luca, but also Brunson. You know, who's going to come off the bench there? Um, how does the finishing lineup look like? Very, uh, some questions to answer if you're a Mavericks fan. Um, and then I think Burton is a very interesting aspect of this trade. He is just, man, what a, what a story. Signs a massive, massive $100 million deal because he shot 40-something percent from three one year. And, man, sucks. Like, he sucked. Absolutely sucked in Washington. I think getting him with Luca, getting him some, some European flavor in there might help him out. Um, man, that's a lot of money. And, and then Chris Stapps in, in Washington. Surprising. I have no idea about that. Um, he's having a decent year this year. I'll give him that. So. Yeah, who, who knows what happens with that? With that team? Um. I got a quick question for you uh, now that we're done sort of talking through all the trades. Um, mm-hmm. It just stuck with me since the, the hardened conversation. Cause obviously that's what's on the forefront of my mind. Um, talked about, you know, the fourth and fifth years of Harden's new contract being, you know, an overpay for sure, potentially being disastrous. I, I'm just curious about the discussion around sort of, giving a max contract versus not. So if you in a perfect world had Harden on the team and you said, Hey, we want to give you a max contract for three years. And then we only want to pay you, let's say, let's say if this was possible, we'd pay you 15 or $20 million in those fourth and fifth years. Right. That, that's sort of, that's sort of the argument, right? Is that like, that's too much to pay in the fourth and fifth years. So I'm just curious, like, fine. You're left with 20 extra more million dollars. Like if, if that, if Harden is not at that level, it doesn't, those, those 20 million don't matter because your team's going to stink, I guess is my point. Now, having the five years on the books, I guess, gives you less, flexi- less flexibility, but I just don't, I don't understand. Is he easier to move if he's on a smaller contract? I'm just, I just don't understand like the whole, you have to max out this really good player and the fourth and fifth years are going to get ugly. Like, yeah, but what else are you doing with the money in the fourth and fifth years? Like you, like this guy is the reason. Like I just, I don't get that line of thinking. So I'm curious what you think about that. I don't think giving him um, a declining contract is even possible. It's not. It's yeah. not. Let's just assume it in this hypothetical. If you could do that, what would yeah. you do with the extra twenty million? Is my point. I mean, surrounding surround him with some better talent. You know, get him some depth, some wing shooting or something, something that'll help him out too as he, you know, severely ages. Because he's, if you look at his stats, man, he's already on on the decline of his career. You know, his, no, his for sure. This is his minutes are down. His field goal percentage is down. Everything is down from you know his MVP years. His scoring is way down, way way down. 
22 versus one year he averaged 30 takes a game. You know, I'm not sorry. I'm not denying. I'm not denying his declining value. I'm just saying from a, a cap perspective, from a contract perspective, if Russell Westbrook was making 30 and not 45, sure, I guess the Lakers would have some more flexibility to get out to go out and sign guys. But is that $20 million going to affect the Lakers team when they're, when they're still paying a guy who's that bad, $30 million? I just either, either he's worth it because he's a superstar or he's not. And so, yeah, I don't, uh, that, that's, I guess that's my concern. Like the, the extra $20 million, sure. Maybe it gives you some flexibility here and there, but if that guy is not that guy, you can't, you don't win championships with role players or, you know, you need, you need those guys to be elite. So mm-hmm. that was my thing. That's, that's where, I think that's where you're, uh, you know, if you're a GM and you're, you have your business meeting um, with all your, all the relevant people, that would make a decision on a signing him to this. You have your cap guy in there saying, how can we minimize the hit and risk that we might face in year four and five? And maybe it's a three plus two deal where it's a uh, team option or a player option on those last years to say, hey, man, you, you averaged 19, 10, and 7, and shot 29% from three this year. Like, we can't pay you $50 million next year when you're 38. Like, we're going to, you're going to single-handedly tank our team because we can't find any help. We have no flexibility in terms of those mid-level contracts that make you flexible in the middle of the season to make a deal. You see with the Lakers, man, anyone who signs a mid-level deal, they're immediately like, you know, yeah. play well, you're on the trading block. Kuzma, um, THT, um, Caruso, KCP, all those guys were those middle guys, which if you give a Harden at 50 in year four, you can't have any of those middle guys. Your minimums, him and Embiid, really, that's it. And maybe, a, you know, a Tyrese Maxey at 15 million a day million a year who is that dude who's getting dangled in trade offers who's hard and underperforming but you can't get rid of him because he's yeah for sure million dollars no I, I get the in terms of not having tradable contracts i i guess my point is if he's not worth that 50 million and he's clearly not that player then the team's not competing for a championship and there's no if he was making 30 there's still no way to make that team compete for a championship in terms mm-hmm. of like that varying. So if you want to cut the contract in half, like, and only give them two or three years, totally makes sense. But the aspect of the aspect of the, the aspect, no, no, I'm, I, it would never happen. I'm saying okay. in a general manager's mind, perfect scenario, you'd give these guys that are getting five years, you'd only give them two or three, but um, the difference between 30 and 50 to me in that final year doesn't really make a difference in terms of the caps going up, it's inflated, whatnot. And if that guy's not worth that money, your team, it just can't compete, I guess is my point. So the, the extra the extra year, the extra million, um, they have to give it to these players because, you know, their feathers are going to be ruffled if not. And so I totally get that aspect. But, yeah, I guess there's a whole way of saying is I couldn't care less about the fourth and fifth years. And if you want to talk to me then and it's, it's an albatross and it's a terrible contract, 
sure. And then I'll ask you what happened the previous three years. And then I'll let you know if it was worth it, I guess. That's very fair. That's very fair. It's going to be super interesting to watch. Um, you know, if you look back at James Harden's career and you, you make a documentary on him, you're just going to find disappointment at the end of every single season. And the disappointment, I don't even know if it's felt by James Harden himself. It's felt by his family. Um, he seems like he doesn't really care as much as you want your superstar to do to care. And I think that's the biggest thing you can ask for. Giannis, LeBron, Luka, Jokic, Steph, KD, Kawhi, they care a lot. A lot. Harden, just watching the All-Star draft last night with Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and watching the end of that, I don't know if you've seen that, but Kevin was not a happy camper, let's say. And and although although James was taking his lumps, I mean, I think you look at Kevin same way. And although it was not Kevin's fault, Kevin lost his running mate. And so I think I think both both guys in that marriage didn't come out of it looking good. I would say if you're of course Harden came out of it looking terrible, I'm not going to deny that. But Kevin sitting there being all glum and bum. He's got two mm-hmm. superstars next to him who refuse to play. I think LeBron's happy KD's not in a great spot right now. I'll also say that. And I don't even think it's on KD. I think it's I think it's the polygamous relationship. The other guy that's involved that kind of got hardened to want yep. to get out of there. Yep. Um, and then KD. Oh, sorry, keep hurt. keep keep going about your about your hardened situation. A lot of times, if you know, watching that all-star draft gives you so much vision into who is actually respected in the league. Who do dudes actually think is legit and not? It's For sure. Get their pure honesty. You know who KD's first pick was? Indeed. Yeah fascinating to me that that was the situation out of the five superstars on those two teams there's two of them who have respect for each other the other three are outcasts and i thought that was just mm-hmm. i mean they those two have a lot of respect for each other clearly i mean it's clear and so the three guys around them are going to make or break those two teams and it's going to yeah. be fascinating but yeah like you said the draft is a uh, yeah you see who who values who um I, to your point i harden has gone much higher in previous years this was a very interesting year LeBron left him for a specific reason because he wanted to make headlines and he did that. And I love him for that, but I don't think you can blame this draft. I don't think you can blame his place in this draft on his, I don't know. It's, it was obviously a unique situation last night. Yeah. Rudy Gobert is one of the most disliked superstars in the entire league. And uh, Kevin Durant, there's two players left. He goes on this, Ernie and, and Shaq and Chuck and Kenny, they're all egging KD. Oh, you, you know, you need a big man, don't you? You know, telling him, like, we know you don't want to pick Harden, don't do it. And if KD goes on this thing saying, oh, I want all these important qualities in something that's the opposite of Kevin Rack. He's like, I want defensive Harden, intensity. Yeah, hard. Uh, yeah, and I, I want defensive intensity and I want someone to care off the ball and all this stuff and he's 
I think he was sick of Kevin Durant. Uh, he was sick of, of Harden too. His off ball. If he doesn't have the ball in his hand at anywhere on the court, he, he's a, I think he's a negative. So it'll be fun to watch. It'll be fun to watch. I'll be looking forward to watching any any Sixers game in the future. Um, you know, with that being said, is there is there anything else you kind of you want to mention before we wrap this no, up? No, I think that's it. I think uh, I think we're gonna get Sixers Celtics, like you said. It just it has to happen. And uh, I mean, what what has to happen is Brooklyn Philadelphia. But if that doesn't happen, hopefully, me and you get a series together. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it should be fun. These re- this regular season uh, might be sort of throwaway now that Brooklyn and Philly are so revamped, but. Yeah, looking forward to the rest of the season. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on and letting me uh, talk some BS to you about the Sixers. Appreciate it. Awesome. This has been NBA Talk, and uh, I'm out.